cannabis topics in less than 10 minutes. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Luke Scarmazzo, cannabis pioneer, one of the first licensed medical dispensaries in the country. Luke, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Man, thanks for having me, Brian. Dope to be on the show and uh, happy to be here. What was the process to get the license? Was there any hesitancy to kind of dive into that process? And then were there guidelines, loose, strict? How, how did that work? Yeah, so when we opened... California Healthcare Collective in 2004, the MMPA had just passed. And that was basically the first dispensing, like loose regulation about dispensing that had ever passed in the country. And it kind of gave some loose regulations on cannabis dispensaries and what they were called collectives back then. And there wasn't like a whole lot to it. You know what I mean? The regulation was very vague. So you kind of had to self-regulate, right? You had to like, like they had like limits of eight ounces that could be dispensed per patient, right? But if somebody came in and bought eight ounces from our store and they had a joint in the car and they drove away and got pulled over, then it was like our fault. Like then we would be we became the bad guys that sold them too too much cannabis. So like we would cut the limits in half and say, oh look, okay, it's four ounces a day. You know, that's the most that we can dispense. We had to do things like double check, verify doctor's recommendations valid California IDs. We had a whole process that we had to go through on that. And then getting the actual license, like it wasn't like it is now. Like there wasn't, you know, $20,000 local fees and stuff like that. It was literally like, you know, write, you know, fill out this license form, you know, tell us where your location is and uh, we'll give you, we'll give you the license. And the state was like real similar. Like you had to drive down to Sacramento, give them, you know, submit your paperwork for the permit. And like they issued it like a week or two later. And then we just hung them like in the back of our our store, like it was like a you know regular local business, and just you know did our thing from there. So let's go into that day on September two thousand six. You know what was the morning like? How did that how did that happen? And take us through what you you remember. It was my daughter's birthday, so it was on September twenty seventh. Uh, she had to fly down with her mom and some of her friends to Disneyland. We were going to have her birthday party at Disneyland. It was going to be a really big deal. It was her fourth birthday. And I had some meetings later on that day. So I was like, me and my dad were going to fly back, fly or fly down there later, later on that day. So at like six in the morning, I just get a knock on the door and it's like a state probation guy. Right. And he was like talking to me and said, you know, introduced himself and asked if anybody was here. And I said, no, you know, I was just by myself at that point. And, uh, he he just kind of like nods and says, okay. He goes, you mind if we come in? And I was like, sure. You know, I, I didn't have anything to hide. So they come in. He asked me to go sit, sit at the table. And when I go sit at the table, he says, something is radio, like all clear or something like that. And then they like bust my door in and like 12 of these like federal officers in all military tactics and helmets and, you know, machine guns all come just raiding through like the house. I, th- we had already told him that, or I had already told him that nobody else was even here. Like, and I'm sitting on the kitchen table, like talking to him. It was totally overkill, totally overreach, unnecessary. And they just came in like crazy deep, you know, kicking in doors of bedrooms, waving, you know, assault rifles everywhere. And, you know, this is for a, 
a licensed medical cannabis operator. So, you know, they came in and, you know, the DEA comes in and waves their badges at me, you know, say that they're simultaneously raiding the dispensary and our managers and my co-founder, Ricardo Montes, who was, by the way, like the first Mexican-American dispensary owner in the country. So that's something that he's proud of. Um, and then basically come up to me and say, okay, like you're, you're facing this amount of time. Like, do you want to talk to us and make a deal? And I'm like, <laughs> hell no. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm doing everything legal. Plus, like, I'm from California. Like, I'm from, we, we don't do that. We don't talk. Like, if, listen, if I get hit, I get hit. I take, I take it on the chin. I'm not like they really wanted our Mendocino like suppliers bad because they knew like we had these like, you know, just truckloads coming down from the Emerald Triangle. And it was just like not something that was even on the table. So we said, you know, nah, we're, we're, we'll take whatever we got. And they ended up trucking us down to the local county jail and then shipping us later down to Fresno, California, where they have like a federal holding facility. And then it became a long fight to like, it was like a two month or like a month and a half period for me to even bail out. Like they wouldn't let me bail out. My bail was $4 million. Yeah. It was like, you know, when people murder people on the street, they get like million dollar bails. And now I I'm sitting in, in a federal holding facility in Fresno with a $4 million bond. And I'm just like, this is like, they are really, really making this difficult, really making this hard. And, you know, I eventually was able to, to put up the money to be able to get out and then, fought my case from the street for for the next two years. When you first got your list of charges, did you think that you'd be convicted on those charges? Or did you think that they would kind of think it through and say, hey, I was paying my state taxes, I was paying my federal taxes, like, there's some decency here in people. Did you ever have those thoughts in your head? Oh, yeah. No, I thought we'd beat them. And my and like, my lawyers were like, saying like, yo, you guys are going to beat these guys. Like, we're going to field a jury of California voters who, who, you know, at least six of the 12 or seven of the 12 actually voted for this law. And, you know, once we show that we're able to, that we were paying our taxes, had a license and all those things that we would be able to, you know, be victorious and prevail on, and, and be vindicated. What I didn't know was in the federal system, state law is completely irrelevant. We could like, they basically handicapped us a week before trial and said, you can't say the words medical marijuana. You can't talk about you having a license. You can't tell them that you pay taxes. So they basically got to paint us as these like huge drug kingpins. And we just had to take it. Like we had to like try to be real creative on how we could get in like certain language or what we were doing. And I mean, it was, it was a kangaroo court, man. And they, they rigged it up to where we, we couldn't even, give them the real circumstances of why we were dispensing cannabis. What was it like checking out California's cannabis scene? Man, eye-opening. Just, I mean, like I said, I had kind of, you know, kept my my thumb on the pulse of it throughout throughout my incarceration. But to come out and actually see it, like, you know, I went to Benzinga where I, where I connected with you guys in Miami. That was dope. And then I just got, got back from Hall of Flowers uh, last week. That was crazy just to see like how much the industry has just blown up and become accepted. Any music collabs on the docket going forward? Um, yeah, I'm actually in the studio now. So I'm, I'm trying to tap in with, with some people. I'd love to work with like, you know, we got some, some people that are regional around here and, and on the national scale, like Mozzie. Mozzie just signed with Yo Gotti. 
I'd love to work with him. Yuck Mouth of the Loonies is my dog. You know what I'm saying? I, I'd love to get back with him and work. E40 is is the big homie. You know what I'm saying? I love 40. 40 has always been a G in it. Let's ride the whip, oh, right? <laughs> yeah, you already know. Let's ride the whip. Uh, so yeah, no, like I, I'm definitely getting back in, in the swing of music. You could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass onto the next generation. What would it be? Man, that's tough. I would have to say like, Number one, do not give up. Do not give up no matter what the odds are against you. And just continue to do what you believe. You know what I mean? Stand up for what you believe in. Cannabis and medical cannabis was something that I was passionate about, that I love. I love the plant. I love all the things that it can do. And even though like I was being told I had to say it was bad or I had to you know, be remorseful or I had to uh, discount everything that, that it, it could do, I wouldn't do it because I was that passionate about it. I believe in it that much. And I stood up for what I believed in and I will still continue to do that today. So number one, never give up. Stand up for what you believe in and just persevere and you'll come out on the other side. It's really well said. All right, prediction time. Luke. What is the number one way that people can align with your mission and help others to get freed for nonviolent cannabis offenders? Okay, number one, go to projectmissiongreen.org. Tap in, find out where, how you can become involved. If you're a dispensary or a business owner, you can get involved in the Roundup program that we got with Mission Green Alliance. Follow us on social media. My social media is exactly how my name is spelled. Luke Scarmazzo, L-U-K-E-S-C-A-R-M-A-Z-Z-O. Yeah, and just continue to tap in with us. And we're going to be launching a podcast soon too. That's going to be super dope. So stay, stay tuned for that. And um, yeah, just support the companies that support us, man. If you see a company that is is giving to this cause, support their products. Support what they do. and 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 we can... If we all come together on this, we can really make a change. Yeah, for me, I think just sharing your story, Luke, I think if you hear this story, I, I think most people will probably not have an understanding of, on exactly what happened. And I think just by sharing that story will change people's perspectives and recognizing that change needs to happen and we need to kind of move forward on these areas because what happened to you was extremely unfortunate and it's inspiring for, for others to help tell that story and appreciate you being vulnerable and honest with here today because... It's a really, really powerful story. Yeah, thank you, man. I had a great time and uh, I appreciate you guys having me, man. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on Podcon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, 
share and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.